talked about last week, I think, um, um, Jesus and Nicodemus, they're finishing up their dialogue, right? And it's really Nic- um, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, you got to be reborn again, or uh, you have to be uh, experience uh, rebirth. And Nicodemus, he's just like, he's confused. He, he doesn't understand what's going on. And I believe that it's not that he doesn't understand spiritual rebirth, that he doesn't quite understand that he needs spiritual rebirth. And so he questions it, and he's trying to figure it out, and he's wrestling with it. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And he's missing what God wants to do in his own life. He's missing what God wants to do, this new thing that God is introducing with Jesus Christ. And so after that dialogue, we looked at the, the, probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. John 3.16, he said that, For God so loved the world. And so God loves everyone. God loves everything. God loves the Jew. And God loves the Gentile. And he loves with a love that, that cost him something. And this love redeems. And this love brings hope. And this love brings freedom. And we said, is it all about us being loved by God and then us loving God in return? I mean, is it all just about who we are and who God is and our little relationship with God? And yes, God loves me and oh, mm-hmm, I love God. And, and, and is it just, does it end there? And we said, no, no, no. See, if we are moving through this idea of, of progressive sanctification, if we are becoming more and more like, more and more having God's heart through Jesus Christ, then we too should love the world. And we too should give the world Jesus. And our love should be a real love that costs. And our love should be a love that redeems and brings freedom and brings hope to people. Did I say that last week? I did? Good. Woo! See, I can even preach dead. That's good. That's good. All right, good. So we're going to continue on in the dialogue in John chapter 3. Let me get my little Bible zucchini here. That's the official term for this because nobody knows what it really is. No, it's not called the marker. Who said that? No, it's a zucchini. All right, I'm going to pray. We're going to get into it. God, we, we want to recognize you and your word. And God, we want to recognize that your word brings life. And so, Lord, as we move through your word this morning, as we wrestle with it, um, we, we know that we all bring our own junk into this room. We know we, we all bring um, our hurts. And we also bring in our, our joys. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to move and work through your people right where they need to be um, worked on and moved through. And God, this morning, I would ask you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, it would be acceptable in your sight my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, let's go. John chapter three. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. I'll go through till 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Okay, 
This whole idea is not very popular. Let's, let's be straight up and honest. Um, this, this kind of gets us Christians in trouble. So, so here's what it's saying. That, that Jesus has come into the world, and he has come into the world not to condemn the world, but he wants to save the world. He has come into the world not to judge, but to save. Now, in chapter 9 of John, it says, Jesus says, I've come to judge. And we'll, we'll cross that next year when we get to that text. But right now, we're going with this one, okay? And, and Jesus says, or the, the writer says, that Jesus has come not to judge the world, but to save the world. So, this idea that this world that God loves, God sent his son, Jesus, to save it. Now, Here's the thing that gets us in trouble. Here's the thing that calls us, that, that people call us exclusive and call us arrogant. You know, those Christians, they think they all got it all figured out. Because for those who believe in Jesus, they are not condemned. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. But the scripture tells us that for those who don't believe, they stand condemned. And, and see, it's not, it's not God condemning. It's not Jesus condemning. What the text tells us is it's what you believe or what you do not believe that condemns you. That God has given this opportunity for whoever. And what you believe or what you do not believe will condemn you. You, me, the world condemns itself by what it believes. It's not God. You see... How people, their position with, the relationship to Jesus will determine whether they are condemned or whether they have no condemnation. Now, in, in the Jewish tradition, God's judgment or his condemnation comes at the end of, all, at the end of times. It's, it's like this last thing. But for John, it's almost this preliminary thing that he says, listen, there's something happening now. What you believe about Jesus affects you now. It will affect you in the end. But what you believe today will have an effect on how your life goes today. And what you believe today will have an effect on how you stand before God in that final judgment. And this is not a popular idea. We don't like to talk about this. This does not fill seats. This does not fill the joy box. But God's condemnation is real. And there's no way that we can get away from it. The scriptures are filled with the wrath of God, the condemnation of God, but they're also filled with the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. And it's how you, what you believe. And we would condemn ourselves. See, what's happening here is, is Jesus is our atonement, and through that, we are justified. Now, atonement's a really big word, and, and you can, there, there's all kinds of theology, atonement theologies, and, you know, substitution, all these things. Here's my theology, okay? Jesus died, I don't have to. Straight up, really basic. You can argue, people way smart, people that have forgotten more than I'll ever know still argue over what atonement theology they want to subscribe to. Here's a really simple one. Jesus died, you don't have to. Okay, now, and so because of that, we are justified. Now, there's another great, really cool Christian term, justification. What is justification? What are we justified from? 
What is the theology of justification? It's big, it's fancy. It's, um, there's a band called Justified. They're not very good, but there's a band out there called Justified. What, what is this idea of justification? If you study the book of Romans, Romans is all about how we are justified. Now, I believe that Romans was the book that Peter was referring to in one of his letters. I think it's 2 Peter when he says, yeah, I hear a bunch of you are reading Paul's writings. Good luck, because you just can't casually read through Romans. You have to spend a lifetime trying to figure out what in the world is Paul saying in the book of Romans. But it's all about how we have been justified. And so simple is, a simple does. And so I'm going to give you a simple definition, my simple definition of justification. Okay, ready? Here it is. I'm going to make sure I get it right here. Justification. I don't have an underline, but I would have. Justification is the mercy of God in action, declaring people right. It's the mercy of God in action, declaring people right. And it draws from this, this courtroom imagery that the crime has been forgiven. The punishment has been forgiven. We are not punished or Christ was punished depending on what atonement theology you want. But justification, if you want to bring that into Christianese, it's we have been cleansed from our sin. This is justification. That through Jesus we have been made into new people. A new creation. See, we're broken. We've been broken by sin. And we have, we have separated from the harmony of God through sin we have, we have ruined the shalom of God by sin. Sin has even fractured the entire world. It has messed everything up. I believe that mosquitoes and ticks before sin happened in the garden did not suck blood. That's just my own little theology. I, I don't know that for sure. But I'm thinking, what was God thinking to create something that would suck humans' blood? Don't give me, oh, they're part of the ecosystem and other animals eat them. No, he could have came up with a lot better solution for birds to eat bugs, okay? So that's just me, but, but I believe that the result of sin has affected everything. Megan still has her list of questions to ask God when she gets to heaven. I think ticks are still on there, right? What was he thinking? And so through sin, we no longer experience the shalom of God. Through sin, we, we've stood outside of the harmony that God has attended for us. And justification is God bringing his entire creation, including us humans, back into that harmony with him. It's his desire to bring people back, that we as his people would begin to order, that we as his people would begin to create, that we would speak into creation just as God spoke into creation, that we would be God-centered, that we would be other-centered, that we would live a missional life, that we would live an incarnational life. This is what God's desire for us is. This is what justification calls us back into. We are being made right with God. And so now through Jesus Christ, we can be God-oriented. We can be others-oriented. And we can be, in a healthy way, self-oriented. Scriptures tell us that we're to love others as we love ourselves. This is what justification is calls us to. And so Jesus, he looks death right in the face. He jumps right in. He takes it on and he comes out the other side victorious. Oh, death, where is thy sting? And see, that verse only works with King James. You got to throw the thy in there or it just falls apart. Your, uh, no, thy sting. 
Jesus overcame it. And because of that, he creates this river of grace that all who would believe in him can step into the grace of God and be made right. This is justification. Now, we got to get ugly because we're all pretty. Cracker Jack Christianity, sugar code, nice little prize. Woo-hoo! Justification feels good, don't it? But there's this other thing that takes place. What are we justified from? What have we redeemed from? What is our salvation from? It's as real as our justification. It's as real as God's grace. It's as real as our redemption. What have we been saved from? You ready? Saved from the wrath of God. And we don't like that. The wrath. Man, I believe Jesus was a hippie. He had long hair, well-trimmed beard, piercing blue eyes. Very mother of pearl skin. And he just went around with peace, love, and affection. There's no wrath in Jesus unless you're in the temple getting hit by a whip. See, the wrath of God, again, it don't fill seats, man. You don't like to talk about God's wrath, but it's real. It's what Romans talks about in the, in the first chapter, the wrath of God. See, this is what happens. This is the way it plays out. God sets the creating, right? And God creates, and he creates us. And he's like, man, that's good right there. Mm-hmm. And God says, I'm going to give these folks, I'm going to give them freedom. And we call it free will, and we can argue predestination all day. I don't care. But we get, we get the free will thing going on. And because of free will, we have a choice that we can walk away from God. That's right. Mm-hmm. He's given us the choice to either walk in harmony with him or we can walk away from God. And walking away from God is sin. And the consequence of that sin, the scriptures tell us, is death. But there's also a consequence of sin. It's called God's wrath. And God's wrath is this, this jealous displeasure with people walking away from him. God's like, no, no. I don't know if you stupid, but I bet you he did. He's like, stupid? Don't do that. Man, if you, just, if you would just do this, this is much better. But we have free will. And we could just walk away when we want. And we suffer God's wrath because of it. All of humanity. All of creation. And so we step outside the harmony of God. And we actually live less life. Now, God has this, this passionate desire for his entire creation that he wants the best for it all the time. It's, it's his passion, I believe. He wants the best for his creation. And his wrath is just this jealousy for us to get back home, to come back to know him, to be in this relationship, to be God-oriented, people-oriented, and, and, and self-oriented, to live a missional life, to live an incarnational life. This is, this is what God wants. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it starts to talk about the wrath of God. And see, what, what it says is these people, not you guys, but, but those people out there, those people decided that they are not going to worship God, that they're going to worship the created stuff and not the creator. In fact, they're not even going to recognize God in anything. And those people, not you people, but those people out there, they've decided to put something else first in their life instead of God. They're not even going to thank God for the things that God has given them. And they're just going to, they're just going to you know, forget you, God. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, all by myself. 
Huh. And here's God's wrath. You ready for this? This is, this is where it gets kind of freaky, man. Here's God's wrath. God lets them. God lets us. Scriptures say that we walked away. We chose to not recognize God in everything. We chose to make other things in our life more important than God. We chose to worship the created things and not the creator. And what does God do? God lets us. He gives us over to the evil desire that's within our heart. This is the wrath of God. And because of that, we get things like um, murder and envy and strife and malice and deceit and slander and arrogance. And this is my favorite one. All of you children that live at home. See, see, this is my favorite one. All of you. Oh, hi, Megan. All of you children that live at home. Included in the murder and in the arrogance and in the strife and in the envy is disobeying your parents. You see, children, it is not a sin to disobey your parents. You've walked away from God by disobeying your parents. I'm just giving it to you the way the scripture tells me, man. I'm not making this up. All right. And see, it's see, the sin is not the murder. The sin is not the arrogance. The sin is not disobeying your parents. Am I harping on disobeying your parents? That's okay. Parents, unite. Can I get a, ooh, that's right. And, and, and so th- that is not the sin. It's the consequence of the sin. It's the consequence of not putting God first. And then so he gives us over to the evil desires of our hearts. That is the wrath of God. The wrath of God in the, in the Jewish mindset, when, when this was being written, when this, Jesus was being lived, the wrath of God is this one-time event that was going to take place at the end. But the scriptures tell us in Romans that the wrath of God is being revealed. And I believe it's being revealed every day. Look around the world and you can see these things taking place. God has allowed his creation to make the choice to either walk in harmony with him or choose not to walk in harmony. See, there's a moment in time by faith in Jesus Christ that you have been justified. You've been made right with God. But there's this process called progressive sanctification. And now you, be, you start to become more and more like Jesus. And those things of envy, strife, malice, and arrogance, they begin to fade away, not to get to God, but because you have been justified. Whoever believes in Jesus has been justified. And it's the expression of the gracious love of God. It's his desire to be in relationship with everything in all of us. It's, and it's by believing. It's in faith alone. Hear me in this. Your justification comes by faith alone alone. That's it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. And do you recognize that, that this shatters the control that we might think we have of our destiny in our lives? This shatters pride and arrogance. Like, like you can do better than someone else to get to God's justification, to, 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 to walk in it even more than the other guy, because look at his life. He's all messed up. No, it's by faith alone. It ruins and it destroys human pretense and boasting for those who believe have been justified. See, God does not accept important people. God does not accept rich people. God does not accept uberly spiritual people. God does not accept religious people. God 
through Jesus, accepts the sinner. Let me give you an example of this. Um, when, I was, when I was preparing this, this text, or, uh, this, this teaching, um, sometimes, many times during the week, I'll just hit a wall, like, like where do I go now? And, and this one, you know, how do you teach on justification that makes sense? Okay, let me rephrase that. How do I teach justification so I actually understand it and so that I can present it? And so I really hit a wall on Wednesday. I didn't know what to do, you know. And usually, actually, I didn't know what to do because I'm getting better with, well, I, need, I just need to walk away and I need to let the stew live. I need to let it marinate and, and, and see what God tells me. And so, you know, Wednesday um, afternoon, I just kind of walked away and started doing other things. And I had nothing Wednesday night. And, you know, I figured the best way to deal with nothing is watch a little boob tube and just kind of mindlessly set my mind somewhere else. And, um, and, and, and Sunday or uh, Thursday morning, I'm at the gym and I throw on my headphones. I like to listen to some pastors, um, some, you know, the big guys like, you know, they have the zillion people church. And some of them are actually good, but there's a few that are really stupid. But anyway, and, and so um, I'm listening and, and, and I just, I haven't listened to my favorite guy matt chandler a long time and i put it on and he's reviewing a, a sermon that he did like a few weeks ago and he tells this story and i'm like oh, that's it and i said I, I wanted to give him credit for this like this example but i can't because then i went home and i opened up all my study stuff and i'm like oh, he got it right out of this and so i give him credit for the idea but not so much for the i don't give him credit for the idea i give him credit for pointing me to the idea but like I said, people much smarter than me had figured all this stuff out. So anyway, I digress. And uh, yeah, let's go to Luke chapter 18. Let me show you. You probably have totally forgotten the example that I wanted to show you, huh? <laughs> That's all right. I forgive you. All right, I'm going to start reading verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One Pharisee and another tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Okay, so let's check this out. So this guy, this Pharisee, he's a religious scholar. He's a, he's a big wig. He's got, he's got some, you know, he's got some, uh, some influence in the, in the religious community. He goes in during a time of public prayer. And was that a scream? my son. Sorry. And he goes in and and he's not hurting. He's not getting hurt. I'm sure he's hurting somebody else. Um, He goes in to pray publicly. and, and, And this guy always gets the bad rap. We always say, look at this arrogant, prideful, religious dude. He's going in there and he's being, but listen, listen what the text says. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. He's not like in the middle of everybody going, look at me, I'm praying, I'm praying out loud, I want people to hear me, I want to make sure you all know how religious I am and how spiritual I am. There's no scene. It says, he stood by himself and he prayed. Now, you might be asking, well, well, obviously somebody heard him because it's written down in the story. No, no, no. Jesus is telling a parable. Okay, and and so Jesus, and in the words of the great philosopher SpongeBob SquarePants, he's using his imagination to create a story with spiritual significance. Okay, so here's this Pharisee. (laughs) Sorry. Here's this Pharisee praying to God, and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He is recognizing God's activity in his life. He is recognizing that he could have went down a completely different road. 
But it was because of the grace of God in his life that he is not like those people. And he recognizes it and he thanks God for it. This is not an arrogant prayer. This is, this is a God-centered prayer. I mean, I don't know where I would be in my life if God didn't get a hold of me. I can make a statistical assumption that I would not be a very good person right now. And I thank God a lot that he got a hold of my life. And I thank God a lot that he saved me from what could have been and he's brought me to this place. It's not arrogance. That's a God-centered prayer. That's recognizing God's activity in your life. This is what this Pharisee is doing. Verse 12. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Okay, in the Jewish tradition, a Pharisee would... um, fast a lot. They would fast for a lot of different things to get right with God um, for you know, whatever it was. But they were required to fast once a week. That's what they had to do. That was their tradition. That's what it took to be a Pharisee. You had to fast once a week. This guy says, you know what? God, I fast twice a week. He's going above and beyond what is expected of him. He's just not doing the bare minimum to get by with God. He wants to press into God. He wants to give God more. He's going to fast twice a week. And then he says, I give, I give a tenth of all I get. Now, in, in the culture, in the society, in the, in, in the first century, certain, um, certain produce, certain um, spices, certain herbs, you would be required to tithe on. You would have to give 10% to the temple, as it says in Malachi, to bring it to God's house. And certain other things did not require you to tithe. Maybe marshmallows or whatever. You don't have to tithe on those things. And tithing is this idea of recognizing that God has given you something and you are giving back a portion of that to him. And this Pharisee, he's not splitting hairs. He's not deciding, well, I don't have to tithe on that, so I'll just tithe on this stuff. He recognizes everything he gets is from God. And he tithes on everything. It would be like, it would be like okay, say you're, you're a tither in, in a church, right? And you hit a milestone birthday, man. It's like you hit 25. Is that a milestone still? No? Whatever. Anyway, you hit a milestone birthday, right? And in that, you get like a chunk of money. Somebody gives you money. And you decide to tithe on your birthday money. Who does that? Who has tithed on their birthday money? Raise your hand. Mm-hmm. This is what this guy... Yeah, right. This is what... <laughs> this is what this guy... It would be like... There, there, was, there was a family here um, that, that they're regular givers. They're, they're tithers, right? And they get their income tax check. They get it in return. And they come to me and say, Dennis, you know what? Everything is from God. And we want to give a portion of our check. And so, so they, 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 they um, gave money to a, a certain ministry. They gave money, extra money to us. They tithed on money they already tithed on. Who does that? Okay, I believe him. I don't believe you. And this is the Pharisee's heart. That's not arrogant. They're recognizing everything is from God. Listen, if that's arrogant, man, I pray you will all get really arrogant really quick. 
This is the heart of this. This guy is, most of us practice JV spirituality. This guy is in the pros, man. His, his walk with God is no joke. He recognizes God for where he is in his life. He recognizes that everything he has is from God and he gives God back what, it's, what is due. And he doesn't, he doesn't do the bare minimum of what it takes. He says, God, thank you for all of these things. And then look, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, a tax collector would not be liked in this culture. Tax collectors were in cahoots with Rome. They would charge unfair taxes so they can give Rome the money and they would keep some. They were considered social deviants. This guy walks in and he stands at a distance. He looks down and he beats his chest. These are, this is an act of humility and it's also an act of shame. He knows who he is. He knows what his job is. He knows his position in life. He knows that nobody likes him. And we can probably bet that as a tax collector, he's not engaging in any of the spiritual disciplines that the Pharisee engages in. And he walks in and all he's got for God is this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And look at what it says in verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Wait, what? Okay, so uber spiritual guy gets spanked. And uber sinner dude, he gets justified? That's not right. Like for real? Come on. Like this guy who's just like, man, God, I recognize you in everything. And the other dude is just like, yeah, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. See, what's happening in this story is this. The Pharisee looked for his justification in what he could do, in what he could accomplish, in what he had the strength to perform. The tax collector was justified because he recognized that he could not do anything, nothing, nada, zip, zero, zilch, big fat goose egg. And he recognized it was only the grace and mercy of God where his justification found being made right through God is through Jesus Christ period being made right through God is through faith in Jesus Christ period it doesn't matter how moral you think you are it doesn't matter how good you think you are it doesn't matter how religious you think you are it doesn't matter how many of the disciplines that you engage every day it doesn't matter your justification comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Do you recognize the pressure that this takes off our shoulders? Do you recognize the release that we have because of this? Turn to me in Matthew chapter 11. Hear the words of Jesus. I'm going to read in verse 28. And these are Jesus' words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I 
will give you rest. See, Jesus is talking to a culture that you had to perform. You had to climb up the ladder of spirituality to get close to God. People know, and, and so many people walked around with their heads down because they just couldn't get a handle on it. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Have you ever been trying and trying and trying? You've been trying to be good. You've been trying to be good. You've been trying to be good. But man, you just can't do it. And you can't do it. And you just get to the point where you sink into a, a spiritual depression. Because you keep trying to do something you can't. And you're tired of trying to do something you can't. And Jesus says, come to me if you're tired and you're weary and you're burdened. I give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The rabbi's yoke was was his teaching. Jesus says, listen, take my teaching upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Has your soul, your spirit ever been so tired of of continually trying to do something, man, you just cannot get a hold of? Jesus says, I got the rest that you need. For my yoke is easy. and My burden is light. These are the words of Jesus. Do you recognize the weight that's been lifted off of his people. Does you recognize the weight that's been lifted off of you? Now, you know, we've been, we've been ex- ex- exegetically preaching, expository preaching for about 30-something weeks now. Do you realize how many times we come back and land on this very topic? Do you think it's important to the heart of God that his people understand that they cannot do anything, that your justification, you being made right with God, is his gift to you through Jesus Christ that you would just believe. Now, I have to say this though. The spiritual disciplines, fasting, praying, studying God's word, tithing, we should engage those things. Those should be a part of our life. But we do them not so we can get right with God. We do them not so, that, not so God would love us. We do them not because we want God to accept us. We engage those things because through Jesus, already accepted. And out of that love relationship with God, you want to press in and be closer. Those things do not justify you. Those things do not make you right with God. Only Jesus does. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. For those who live by the truth come into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The light has come into the world, and that light is Jesus Christ. And here's the sad part of the story. Not everyone will accept it. Because people like darkness. People will choose to walk in, the, in darkness. In God's wrath, he will allow them and he will give them over to their, the, the desires in their heart, which are evil, and they will live a life that walks out of harmony with God and walks in the darkness. They will choose, they will choose to put the love of money before responding to the love of God through Jesus. They will choose to put the love of position and power ahead of choosing the love of God through Jesus. They will choose to put the, and you can fill in the blank, before they choose to respond to the love of God through Jesus. This is the sad reality that we live in in our world. That they are afraid to be shown for who and how they're living. Listen, here's the thing. Sin, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the living outside of the harmony of God is fun sometimes. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's, it's a lot of fun, for a while anyway. I mean, the prodigal son, there's a story we're going to be looking at. I love the story. You might spend weeks on it. I don't know yet. But, but there's a story, and this, this son, the youngest son, he asks his dad for all his inheritance, and he takes his money, and he goes out, and he starts to squander it. And he's not like, oh, man, you know, i got to get me some prostitutes tonight and get drunk on wine, have a party. This is so unenjoyable. No! He's like, prostitutes, wine, we're going to have a party, woo! I mean, debauchery can be fun, believe, I mean, so they tell me. And, and, and so, and so it's, it's still the golden shackles of bondage. And you see, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever would believe, and have everlasting life, both here and forever. For those of you who have made a commitment to follow Christ, hear me. Stop trying to earn what you already have. Lighten up on yourself. Enjoy the gift you've been given. Smile a little bit. Laugh a lot. Love God. Love yourself. Love people. Stop trying to be. Understand that with Jesus, you already are. And, you know, I don't know where everybody is, but those of you who are kind of on the fence, and, 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 and maybe you haven't made that decision in your life to follow Christ, I'm going to ask you, please, choose to walk in the light. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. And I'm going to be honest, I love that you love me. And so, God, I am... Um, 
I stand before you. We all stand before you. Thankful that you gave us Jesus. And God, help us to live and move in that reality. Help us to engage the freedom that we have that's been given to us. Help us to live, help us to live a life so we can smile and laugh. Help us to live a life where the, the yoke and the weight of, of the lies are off of us. And we turn to you for our everything. And so, Lord, um, as we leave this place, let that verse echo in our hearts for those who believe we have eternal life. Amen. Prayer box is in the back if you're giving an offering. Have a great week.